On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. We did a we did a eleven things we learnt from this um from this one day series and that was one of the points that we learnt. It was it was whether Steve Smith is coming back. Something like fourteen months prior to the ban, he averaged in the mid twenties with a strike rate of about seventy five. If you present those numbers as they are and go, this is a guy who in the past two years averages yeah. averages twenty five. You're way off the mark on this one. Mate, if you take his name out of way it, off the mark. If you yeah. take his his name out of it. You would be mad for suggesting this bloke. If you go, there's a guy who hasn't played cricket for 12 months. It's Steve Smith, though. That's like saying... Ignore his name. Ignore his name and you're not picking him. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Menes, and that was Joe Barton from the anti-Steve Smith camp, sports writer for the Daily Telegraph. He's here with me, Joe, reeling from Smith's selection in the World Cup. Joe, welcome back. How are you? I'm perfectly well, Menes. I understand why they call you Mad Menes, because you've got absolutely no clue, but uh, let's carry on. I think the words uh, speak for themselves there. So They, they do, and those, those numbers haven't changed, and my point hasn't changed. If you had a 22-year-old with those numbers, you wouldn't pick him. So he's not backing down gutted about Smith in the World Cup. This man's a fool. Don't listen to him. <laughs> and so we've got <laughs> Joe Barton. Great way to start the podcast. Do not listen to this man. <laughs> and the, the other panellist is... Digital sports writer, national cricket editor, Steve Wilson. Steve, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Manus. Even things up. I stitched you up last time we were together, and now I've stitched Joe Barton I don't, up. I feel like you've stitched yourself up here, mate, because you still haven't listened to the point, and you just don't get it. <laughs> it's like saying, oh, let's forget his whole other career and, and just look at one little small sample size. I get a sense you might have waited for that one until Smith got a, a century at Lords rather than uh, going this early, but, you know. Well, you know, he's, I want to get his take on the World Cup squad, so obviously he's reeling that Steve Smith's been called up you, again. You couldn't be more wrong. I, I've, read it, I've written it several times that Steve Smith would and should be picked. I was mounting in case... That he should that his his position was not as clear cut as you said it was, and I think it was supported by many respected men other than yourself who have no clue. Well, you said it. If it, if he wasn't called Steve Smith, he probably wouldn't be picked. And I tend to think that's probably true. <laughs> but he is called Steve Smith, and he has been picked. So that's uh, it. Let's move on. So we have a lot to get through in this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. We have all the World Cup squad news from around the world. We have the week's cricket headlines, including a dramatic twist in India v Australia relations at board level. And then we'll bring it on home with listener mail and can't let it go through to the keeper. Our new segment for the day, which is just an extension of can't let it go. I made it a bit crickety. Did you see that, guys? I don't read the notes, no. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Joe, as always. Uh, So before we get into the the panellists' opinion of Australia's World Cup squad, I do want to touch on some rather big news this morning and and a real media storm where James Faulkner made a post on Instagram 
that was taken to be that he was um, coming out and declaring his sexuality for the world. And then uh, it's now gone back the other way and it's been just a, 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 a post that's been misinterpreted. So I should say up front that, um, you know, this is the News Corp Cricket Podcast and the story did seem to get some traction with uh, News Corp's Fox Sports website, which may have sort of started this um, avalanche of news around the world. And uh, I guess I'll start with you, Steve. Um, you know, the initial story from... Fox Sports journalist taking the post from James Faulkner. What do you think happened? Well, I mean, it, was, it wasn't just Fox. It was picked up everywhere. There was reports on The Guardian, the ABC, and the Press Association uh, uh, put out a story. I think what happened was, um, quite simply, James Faulkner made that post. One reading of it, or a very clear reading of it, was that he was... He was indicating that he was in a same-sex relationship and had been for five years. And so were that to be the case, as it perhaps appeared, that was a huge story. And so people leapt on it. I mean, people are interested in the fact that in professional sport at the moment, the, the, there are very few openly gay men uh, playing cricket or football or any other sport. And so were it to be true, then it would be a huge story. I think what should have happened is that because of the nature of it and the sensitivity around it is that there should have been a bit more work done in terms of standing up the story there should have been calls made before people ran with it um, but it then just took on a sort of life of its own and was around the world in, uh, uh, in no time at all and in the UK and in India and so yeah it, it sort of gained legs very quickly but uh, uh, has been sort of put down just as quickly by Cricket Australia and James Faulkner himself. Yeah that, those sort of stories can catch fire very quickly and as you said it spread very you know spread across the world as you say India, England picked it up it happened quite early well I think the the Instagram post went up late last night, like as in late on Monday night Australian time, and then the story itself appeared kind of quite early um, Tuesday morning. And you know that's right in the wheelhouse for for the England time zone. Indian cricket fans are awake 24 hours a day, so it's it's one which really did pick up steam too quickly, and sometimes it can get away uh, get away from you before you know it. it it's an unfortunate one because I think James Faulkner he's kind of got a bit of a jokey persona um, on Twitter and Instagram and. It's not unusual for him to have these sort of posts which, you know, refer to his mates in loving terms and he's got, like, kissy faces and that sort of thing, which just, like, his online banter, um, the way that he's done it, like, he, he does it with Kevin Peterson and, and teammates and that sort of thing as well. And if you go back over several years, there are Instagram posts and Twitter posts along these lines, so it's not necessarily out of character. I don't think it's malicious on his part. Possibly naive is is definitely a way you could describe. Do you think it's insensitive to make a post like that in the current climate? I mean, what do you mean by the the current climate of? Well, just that you know, it is a, it's a hot button issue, and if a male athlete were to come out publicly, then it would be a big thing. So to joke about it and joke about sexuality generally is not that funny. I don't, yeah, I'd, I'd stick with saying it's it's definitely not malicious and, and I'd, he's, if he has made an error on, the, on this part, then it's through naivety rather than anything with bad intent. But it is a hot button issue and, you know, the, the potential for there to be a young gay athlete who could have seen this and been inspired to, to come out would have been a good thing. But now that they've, now that it's blown up as kind of potentially a bit of a joke, it could have some negative backlash, but I would be very surprised to feel if that was uh, Faulkner's intent at any point. 
And I think if you look at the, the wording of the sort of follow-up post where we, the, the explanation where he was saying it was a misunderstanding, I mean, if, if you want to be cynical, you could say that it's, oh, it's the, the right thing to say to sort of get himself out of a bit of bother. But if you take it at face value, it does sound like he's very honestly come out and said, look, I, you know, it was a misunderstanding. I support uh, gay rights and I don't mean any harm by it. So he's, he's kind of cut it down uh, in the correct manner and hopefully that that's an end to it. So again, back in what Joe said, I think from, from how he's reacted to it, I don't think there was any malice in it, but it's a, maybe a silly, stupid joke. And like you say, has more serious connotations and uh, uh, effects on people who are maybe vulnerable in society and therefore he should perhaps have given it a lot more thought than that but I don't think there was any intention to cause harm it was just sort of stupidity and, and naivety like Joe says. We've had in recent weeks far more serious posts the likes of Israel Folau and we've had lots of rugby league rugby union AFL players liking Israel Folau's posts which I think personally is far more damaging and is directly attacking as opposed to kind of this sort of more playful uh, approach that Faulkner's taken. So I've heard them compared along the same lines this morning, which I just find mind-blowing. It's it's not in the same stratosphere as, no. as what his ruffle house posted. But um, I think Faulkner, Faulkner will have genuine regrets about how it's been perceived. And I think what he thought was probably just a bit of a you know a bit of a, a joke with his mate. He's a, he's a high-time athlete. This is his housemate. He's probably just like. I'll take the piss out of this bloke and we'll all have a laugh. It's been taken a different way and I reckon he'd probably have a few regrets over over that and he'll be a bit uh, sheepish. But long term, I, I don't think James Faulkner is going to be viewed particularly negatively because of this, uh, this one post. Yeah, there's a few uh, journalists that probably have their tails between their legs right now. I guess my reading of the initial interpretation of the post is if, if you're going to write a story like that, you probably need to frame it in such a way as to, to give a broader con- – like show the post and, and sort of say this is what he's alluding to, but to not be so like certain about it because unless you've got confirmation uh, – Yeah, you've got to – but that, it's a tough a one because it comes straight from the player. Well, exactly. Well, it, it, there's lessons to being learned over this in, in newsrooms all over, all over the globe. But uh, it, it is a sort of a reminder of the difficulty with social media because what, what's wonderful about it is that it is a direct quote it's direct information from the person themselves. So it, it, it effectively what they've written or what they've said is the same as if you you had a one-on-one interview or they've been on the radio or they've been on TV. They've said that, but it needs to be sort of understood and contextualised so that things like this don't happen and it it gets out of control. So I think a lot of people still, although it's not a new thing, are still sort of coming to terms with how best to to bring sort of social media content into their their sort of general reporting. I mean, the first ever cricket story I wrote was something that Joe Barton published for me uh, when he was at Fox Sports that where Elise Villani, Australian women's cricket, she did come out by changing her Twitter status. So it's not like it's uncommon for players or athletes to to do something on social media. Uh, yeah, I feel sorry for the journalists that got burnt by this one. And, you know, I've got to say, when I saw it, I was really happy because I thought finally we, we were at a, a point in the cricket community where a high-profile male player feels comfortable enough to come out and, and be who they are on, the, on a national and international stage. 
and we're quite not quite there yet, obviously. <laughs> well, that, that's another aspect of it that it, it, it is a story that everyone is waiting for and and wanting to come. It's, it's going to be fantastic when it happens. It's sort of long overdue. You can understand why you know gay uh, athletes are reluctant to come forward because of the negative attention they get and the positive attention that they would get as a as a sort of you know leader. Um, but so maybe that was part of the, the the reason that people rushed to it is that they, they want that story. It could have been a fantastic good news story, and but yeah, it just the, turned out not to be. The initial wave of reaction was overwhelmingly positive, as of course you would expect it to be. And that, that is the encouraging part of it. Maybe even if it hasn't come about the right way, maybe there is a young athlete out there who could see that and go, right, so this is the reaction which is going to come my way if and when I make this, make this call. And that's, that is a good thing, even if it's come about in a slightly uh, roundabout way. All right, well, let's move on from the James Faulkner fiasco and uh, get stuck into all the World Cup news. I can touch it. I can feel the World Cup on the horizon. I cannot wait. So, Steve Wilson, I haven't got you on the podcast since Australia selected their World Cup squad. What's your take on it? Well, uh, it's probably not going to please you that uh, I think when it was first announced, it, it sort of it wasn't particularly unexpected, and there's a lot of positives in it. And you know, coming off the back of a, a good period for Australia, as I've had time to sort of digest it and let it come in and seen some of the other World Cup squads, I'm slightly less convinced by the the squad than I was perhaps on the day that it dropped, mainly over concerns over balance and in particular the sort of strength of power hitting towards Where the Where is towards Golden Ducks it. Turner? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a, yeah he's, he's, he's doing a very, or has been doing a very good job of uh, making fools of all of us who've been beating the drum for him to be in there. Uh, one, one good knock and everyone had him penciled in and then uh, he's, he's come back to earth a little bit. But... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue? No, but I would say, look, it's... Balance is your problem. Balance is the problem, and it's a very top-heavy a top-heavy squad. And I don't know if you can... They're certainly going to win games and win some games handsomely with the, the, the quality they have and the star players and the match winners with Warner and, and Maxi and Smith, if, if he does uh, produce. But in terms of going deep into the tournament and get into the final um, I'm not sure that they have enough players who are comfortable doing each role that w- will be required of them particularly in a tournament where we're almost certainly going to see like record scores for a World Cup just the way that a lot of the teams are tracking and possible flat decks in, in the UK Will we see 500 well. in a World Cup? <laughs> I, I, I would guess no, but uh, I want to be uh, glued to my TV when uh, that happens, if it does. Wasn't 480 yeah. England yeah. scored, and they were on track for 500, so yeah, maybe could happen. Maybe against Sri Lanka or Bangladesh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. first blows from Wilson. <laughs> uh, but yeah... Th- so they're your hot takes. Yeah, balance it, wrong. Balance not r- enough power. Not enough power. Don't you, you, you're asking an awful lot of the 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 top order to stay around and to bat deep because if you lose early wickets, Australia and Maxi doesn't fire. Maxi can fire and, and probably will on a couple of occasions. You're looking at Stoyness and Carey in that sort of soft middle that really don't inspire an awful lot of confidence in me. You've got bowlers. You know, Cummins can swing the willow, but if if you're relying on him to chase down a score or set a target, I think Australia. Are in difficulty, and there's also going to be problems. I think around that sort of one, two, three. You've got three openers that, and you can only have two. What do you do with Kawaja? Does he go to three, and then does he revert to the number three Kawaja of old, which is a massive drop off in form? There's so many little. Kind so, is there of any variables. huge omissions that you're disappointed about? This, Were this you was, in the Hanscom or the Hazelwood I want, I want camp? To ask you. I feel like you're demanding power hitters. Mm. Ashton Turner is a name that we've brought up, but really beyond beyond that. 
I don't really know who the who the who the big emissions could be. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and that's why I mean, yeah, that that's the problem is that you don't have yeah the players who would naturally go into these situations. I'm, I, I don't have an answer, and I can't magic I mean, up if, someone. If but Chris I probably Lee could field. If Chris mm-hmm. Lynn didn't have a bung shoulder, I would have thought a few months ago, you, maybe you try him as another alternative at they, six, you they know. But they tried him at the top of the order and then they realised he couldn't field. So it was... He's a liability in the field, especially mm. across 50 overs. They did try him at international level and he didn't really kind of take to it the same way that you would hope. I mean, Maybe he, he's better at six at international level, coming be. in for the slog at the end. It, it could be. So, Joe, what's your take then on Australia's World Cup squad, apart from being gutted about <laughs> Steve Smith getting I, called up? I actually... Former I, Australian captain. I quite liked it. The one that I was particularly fond of was I, I liked seeing Sean Marsh's name in there, which I know brought some... Hatred from uh, from Pete Lawler last. Pete Lawler's is trying to get you fired from News Corp <laughs> after your last take. But I think if you just look at like we're talking about a guy with extreme amounts of experience, terrific record at the top of the order, both at three and four for Australia. I wouldn't be surprised if um, Australia slots him in there in the best eleven. I know that means Usman Kawaja gets shifted out, but it's problematic. And for just for the balance of that particular eleven, I think Sean Marsh definitely uh, lends his weight to a, a much more impressive looking top of the order. I agree with the power hitters. I would have, in an ideal world, you do like to get another guy in there, just certainly the balance of teams across the world. But the biggest problem with that is that Marcus Stoinis has been on a bit of a downslope recently. If you think back to Marcus Stoinis versus New Zealand a couple of years back where he's blasting 150, that's what we want from a guy who can come in at six or seven. If you then have Turner after that, absolutely by all means. But if you've got him and Maxwell hitting at their best then that gives you some serious power hitting in the middle order I don't think we should be too worried but Stoinis is in bad form and yeah. I well say, I think he was injured in that Pakistan series and he he's turned the corner in the IPL and he's bit, been yeah. batting with AB de Villiers so and, it, and there maybe. wasn't anybody really putting him under pressure either because you definitely need a seam bowling all rounder and the only other one really is Mitchell Marsh and he's been in worse form than you know, last would, last World Cup it was James Faulkner. So it was, and how his, things have his changed. Needs have gone, so unfortunately, he's been off the radar for a long. Well, I was going to say, is is there reason to believe that Stoinis is going to come to the party here? Like, yes, he was good in the home summer against South Africa and and in, in bits and pieces against India, but on the road uh, in India and the UAE, doesn't done an awful lot. And when in England the last time around, he, uh, he you know he didn't pull up any trees either with the bat or the ball. I know he's got it in him because we've seen yeah. him do it against New Zealand and others. But is there a reason to believe that in the next sort of five or six weeks he's suddenly going to come back into form? I'm not so sure. Well, that's right. Needs him to, and um, hopefully, if, if the flat wickets that you've predicted earlier in this mm-hmm. podcast and the smaller grounds, some of the smaller grounds, maybe that could be the catalyst for Stoinis finding his form. He seems like similar to Max. He seems like a guy who can make the most of. A bit of confidence when when he when he starts to get onto a run, I feel like he's going to really uh, pick up rhythm. But um, he doesn't he doesn't necessarily or didn't go into the IPL with much confidence. And as no, say, but he's, he's got a cool head, Stoinis. I do like him that he seems to know his game, and some sometimes he gets criticised for when he comes out to bat, he takes a few balls mm. to get going. But almost that's the mature approach. He knows his game. He knows there's no good just trying to hit the first couple of balls for six. Get to know the pace of the pitch, knock a couple around and play yourself into the innings, which is you know sensible cricket. He, I want to touch on a... I was just going to say, he, he desperately wants to be in the game as well. He wants to be involved in every aspect. If the game's on the line, he says, give me the ball, I'll bowl. I'm happy to come in bat in the order. 
loves being in the field. Like he wants to wants to have his impact felt at, at all times, which is also a good trait. All right, let's read and react now to Ian Chappell's News Corp column on the World Cup squad. Ian Chappell wrote that he thinks Warner and Finch should open as it will make other teams nervous. And then he would have Smith at three, Shaw Marsh at four, Maxwell at five, Stoinis at six. His justification for omitting Kawaja is that his best value is at opener, and with Warner there, he won't be able to open. I don't agree with that, Ian Chappell. I would have Kawaja at three, Smith at four, and leave Shaw Marsh out. Steve, where, where do you sit on Ian Chappell's opinion? I, I have a lot of time for it, to be honest. I, I think that makes a, an awful lot of sense. But I also think you, you can make those arguments both ways, and that comes back to the idea that I'm saying that you don't really know what that sort of top order balance is yet. And you're going in there and, you know, one day you might think, yes, you know, of course, Uzi, you know, if he doesn't open, then, you know, we've got others who Smith and Marsh have performed better historically in those positions. And that makes sense. And it's a tough call to get on with it. Or do you flip the other way and go, well, Kawaja's just been hitting the balls for fun. Let's get everyone in who's in form as high as you can. That's the situation that Australia are in. I, I think I can be I can be convinced by what Chipotle's saying there that it's a long tournament. You know, it won't necessarily be Finch and uh, Warner play every single game. Kawaja can come in and just use them as two from three for the openers, and then let the middle order be middle order batsmen who can who can do the job there. So. I understand exactly what he's saying and it makes perfect sense, but I'm not sort of beating the drum for that. I, I can be convinced the other way as well that Kawaja is, is deserving of a place in the 11. Yeah, I, I agree that yeah, both, both options will be used at, at various points uh, in, this, in the World Cup. I lean towards Chapelli just because, yeah, as you say, history shows. So you'd the, have, the as, you'd have um, Kawaja for Smith? <laughs> uh, I'd have Smith batting at three. Okay, uh, but I, I, but I, it's a, it's it's a good one to to clarify. But yeah, no, I, I think Kawaja's record at three is it's roughly half. Yeah, tw- twenty four something. Yeah, yeah, and whereas whereas Marsh is forty five, forty eight at three and four. History shows that these guys when the when they come in at, in these positions, and I know there is so much change around it. You can come in at one for one and effectively be the opener anyway. But mentally, there's a reason why. The, the numbers back Chapelli's argument um, and for that reason but the non-negotiables in this team obviously are going to be at the top of the order are Finch and Warner like they have to be the openers Finch has to be in the team as the captain but it is negotiable because they haven't confirmed it yet so well yeah, they could go wait. Finch, Kawaja, Warner at three wait until well yeah okay but the 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 thing uh, you, you you're trying to improve a weakness by weakening. No, I don't agree uh, with that. Sure. But yeah, yeah, yeah they've exactly. Said that. But you know, so I would say it's absolutely non-negotiable that David Warner opens. You want your best player seeing as many balls as possible. He's fi- he's on fire mm. in the IPL. He's in his he's, best position, he's, he's the one, one of them. Yeah, do. one of the most destructive, if not the most destructive ODI player. It's the, the you know when he walks out the opposition they don't want to see that so and you want that left right combination to begin with that's useful so it's going to be Kawaja at three if he plays and then you're debating about does he go in at three or not I just have no faith in Sean Marsh I have zero faith in him and I think in the pressure of a World Cup with the best attacks honing in on him I have absolutely no confidence he'll have a good World Cup whereas Kawaja is class he's a classy player and, you know, he's now found his feet at international one-day level. So I don't know if 
opening or batting at three makes a big difference. So I would be Kawaj at three, Smith for Sean Marsh reserve. Uh, coming, coming against... Uh you know, Sri Lanka and those kind of games. Yeah, or not even. I don't even think Australia will rotate their squad too much um, during the tournament because you know every game is going to be vital. Mm-hmm. We saw in the lead up to this tournament, they really sort of stuck with the same players. So yeah, I don't know. All right, so Chapelli's also gone for Cummins, Stark, and Zampa as the linchpins of the attack, and then either one other quick or Nathan Lyon, uh, depending on the conditions. Ian Chapel writes. The team that takes wickets at regular intervals, especially through the middle overs, will be the ones most likely to reach the semi-finals. Now, spot on there from Cipelli. The team that does take wickets will will do well. But I think for Australia in particular, this is going to be crucial because I think Australia is most vulnerable in the death overs with the ball and with the bat. You know, we as we talked about, Steve, we're not laden with power hitters. You won't expect Australia to score 100 in the last 10 overs a lot, whereas some of these other teams that are stacked with power, you could see that. And I'm worried about Australia's death bowling. We've never really, like we saw in England last year, we got hammered in the last 10 overs. So I don't know. I'm worried about a death bowling. So if Australia's able to take wickets uh, early on, up front and in the middle overs, then it won't matter so much in the death overs because all the batsmen are gone. And we saw that in the 2015 World Cup. Australia did win a lot of games by taking early wickets. So I think that's vital for Australia. Absolutely. It's it's the mantra that's coming out of uh, virtually every team camp that that is uh, well understood that particularly for the reasons you mentioned, but also in this era of you know, these huge scores and, and deep batting lineups in some of the, the top nations, just taking wickets at regular intervals in that middle spell just destabilizes and, and decelerates what they're doing, as well as you know the, the advantage laid down that you've got rid of uh, recognised batsmen. It just slows down that momentum and, 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 and puts it back on the, to the bowling team. And so... The teams that, you know, the old mantra is, you know, batsmen win matches and bowlers win tournaments and it's going to be true in this one. And that's one of the reasons for optimism for Australia is because it's got such a strong uh, pace attack, but so have, you know, South Africa and, and, and England and New Zealand to a degree. So all countries in every game will be looking to really make hay in that middle uh, middle spell because if you don't, the game can very, very quickly get away in you. And I share your fear that if Australia aren't able to do that in matches, that's where they will really suffer. Now, Ian Chappell also finishes his column on a very positive note. With Smith and Warner bolstering the batting stocks, Australia now has a realistic chance of completing a unique double, winning a World Cup and reclaiming the Ashes. Well, we actually have the Ashes, but winning the Ashes series all in one English summer. You would not sleep for weeks. You'd be you'd be partying. You'd be partying all through Bondi. It's going to happen. It is going to happen. All right. Now let's move on to the other World Cup news. English batsman Alex Hales has been dropped from the England World Cup squad after committing a recreational drug use infringement for the second time. A third violation would seem banned for twelve months. Joe, England's falling apart already. This is the first crack of many to come this is and it is problematic for um for england because he's been replaced by james vince who's it's not a like for like replacement in any way shape or form um and hales is right right down the line he's the he's the kind of he he fits how they want to play as in go hard from ball one hit the lights out 
aim for 450. That's that's him, James Vince, the man with the most beautiful cover drive you've ever seen, but never got past 30. That sort of guy. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's a good. A England's good World Cup camp- campaign is going to be a car crash. I don't know if it's going to be a car crash. They still have a pretty pretty strong uh, balanced team, and they'll be feeding off the home crowds. But you could be right. This is, this could this. Could, I, th- I think this is a bigger blow than we're going to give it credit for early on. I'm I'm not so sure. I, w- I will sort of counter that with, and I understand why you see it as a as a a big blow, and it is because uh, like yeah, because Hales, you know, like you rightly say, it's him, Bairstow and Roy are the three interchangeable openers there. But he is the first reserve batsman. You got to remember that. So it hasn't taken someone out of the the first it's eleven. 11 yeah. And Vince coming in, the the James Vince who plays one day matches is not necessarily the James Vince that you saw uh, in tests in this uh, part of the world where he absolutely gorgeous beautiful technique to 27 and then that same lusty cover drive that got him all the runs is how he sort of nicks off and gets out he's got 190 in a domestic one day uh, match in the last seven days highest ever uh, list day score for for Hampshire I think and the ball doesn't move quite as much when it's a white ball and his problem of going chasing after balls that he probably shouldn't in test matches in one day matches everybody has to sort of chase you know you want to be scoring all the time and so that kind of equalizes that down a bit it's a downgrade but it's not a massive downgrade and James Vince is full of confidence and you know has got a majestic 150 in him somewhere as much as he has a beautiful 12 and gone Um, but yeah but the, the, the the major impact is just this idea that England have been building towards this moment for the last four years, certainly the last two and a half years, and everything has gone smoothly, everything's right, it's all set, and just now, just before it's all happening, these little things are happening, and everyone's getting tense in the UK, everyone's getting nervous, because they're expected to go on and win it and end, you know, however many years of hurt, um, and and cracks are forming, and, and I think a lot of other teams do sense blood. I certainly do. Dale Steyn is leaving the Indian Premier League and returning home to South Africa after experiencing more problems with his right shoulder. This is uh, described as a flare-up, but just a month before the World Cup, this must be a massive concern for South Africa. So much uh, rests on Dale Steyn being fit for the World Cup. And, you know, I was looking at um, South Africa's team. You know, they've got two good bowlers in Rabada and Nagidi. But they're, they're back up. I think there's a bit of a drop-off there. You've got Fuluwa Keo and Dwayne Pretorius that I don't think are of the class of Rabada, Nagidi and Stain. So looking at South Africa, I don't think they'll make the semifinals, especially without Stain. Yeah, I've, I've got them in the tier just beneath the favourites, which is basically them pushing for the fourth semifinal spot um, behind potentially Australia, uh, England and India. But I think they're potentially the biggest problem is they haven't really been able to replace Abe de Villiers, who has been their match winner for so long. Um, and a lot a lot rests on the shoulders of Quinton de Kock having a big, big tournament. And that's a lot of pressure to put on um, a guy with so many responsibilities. I do still like their attack. Uh, if Dale Stane's not fit, it's a massive, massive blow. Um, but as you say, Rabada and Ngidi, they can yeah. two, two good quicks. Is the key for them is the 10.30am starts. If there's a bit of cloud bit in of the zip. air, they could be destructive. Oh, and I wouldn't entirely dismiss Dwayne uh, Pretorius from that. I mean, he's he he was he was quick uh, when he was younger, but he, I think he had a knee injury, didn't he, that slowed him down. But he's kind of reinvented his game a little bit, and it's all about sort of accuracy and putting it in the right spot. He can get a bit of swing if it's a cloudy morning in, in the UK. I wouldn't discount him as, as a potential threat either and so uh, yeah I think they can get 
the wickets that will that will that will see them home in a lot of games. Um, but they're relying on, like you say, De Kock to come to the party and Amla to kind of have this great Indian summer and you sort of remember the batsman that he was. And that's possible. And I personally would pick them just sneaking ahead of Australia into the fourth spot. Okay, get out. Um, <laughs> the West Indies have announced their World Cup squad. Jason Holder is the skipper. Chris Gale, 39 years old now, has been selected for his fifth World Cup. Andre Russell has been called up as a batting all-rounder. And uh, Kieran Pollard and Sunil Narone have been left out. But I think that the West Indies are a danger team. They've got an attack of Shannon Gabriel, Kemar Roach and O'Shane Thomas. Then their batting lineup is stacked with power. So I think they're a real shake to make the top four. They're definitely going to be the team that you tune in to watch their matches. Um, they can go both ways. Obviously, they can fall in a heap or they can just hit teams out of the ground. And that's what's going to be glorious about it. And yeah, there's every chance. They're certainly going to bloody a few noses. And if you say what you need to win six matches to, to get into that top four, I, I wouldn't rule them out at all. I wouldn't be putting money on them either. But I, I think they'll be uh, the great entertainers without sort of slipping into too much cliche. But uh, that, that they are a slightly dysfunctional and they're unbalanced themselves but they've got the hitters and they've got genuine pace in their bowlers with Thomas and uh, Gabriel so yeah there'll be some fireworks yeah high ceiling low floor for sure with them um, they've proven they can do it they've, they've won big tournaments in the past where they've shocked I mean on the T20s for sure but um, they've shocked they've shocked the world in the past and mate with uh, with some of the big hitters in there and Chris Gale why not All right, uh, we're going to take a quick break in the Cricket Unfiltered podcast brought to you by News Corp. After the break, we're going to get stuck into all the headlines in the Cricket Week. Just want to remind you all, if you want to find me or the show on social media, the show is at AusCricketPod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. That's on Twitter and Instagram. Oh, I have to get a selfie later, guys, for our Instagram page. There's also a new Twitter page called at News Corp Cricket. This is like a funnel for all the cricket news coming out of News Corp. So definitely go and follow that. And uh, yeah, there's lots of great podcasts in this back catalogue. So if you're just tuning in, there's some great podcasts recently with Dan Brettig, award-winning writer, Jeff Lemon, Aussie Quick, Josh Hazelwood, Elise Perry, Pat Cummins, Alan Border, Mike Hussey, both Healy's, Ian and Elisa. So go back through the back catalogue and have a listen. All right, coming up after the break, the cricket headlines. Beautifully controlled, wasn't it? This time he advances, takes on everyone. There's Virat Kohli and lands it amongst his adoring fan base. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered, and that was Virat Kohli hitting a six at the SCG. And uh, next summer, uh, there'll be no one-day cricket in Australia because Australia will be playing one-day cricket in India. So let's get stuck into the cricket headlines brought to you by Sydney's The Daily Telegraph. So relations between Cricket Australia and the BCCI, the board that controls cricket in India, have hit rough waters again. Uh, As I said, so Australia now have to go over to India in the middle of January next summer to play a one-day series, which was previously agreed upon. Australia did try and shift this series to later in the year, but India refused. 
and uh, that means Australia have postponed their Chapel Hadley series to later in the year, and there'll be no one-day cricket for the first time in 40 years in Australia, which I actually don't think the viewers will care that much, judging by um, the sort of reaction to the one-day stuff last year. But it is a huge blow for the summer and to Fox cricket. But I guess the collateral damage has been the, the women's cricketers seems to have copped a bit of the fallout from this. So it's alleged that... Well, the, the email was leaked by the BCCI that Belinda Clark, in an email to them about the women's exhibition game, said Australia couldn't guarantee the involvement of their female players until the men's negotiations were finished. What do you think, Steve? Well, yeah, it's 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 a very sad situation. I mean, the the the, the bottom line is that you've got what could stand as one of the sort of premier showcases for women's cricket. This, so yeah, this, sorry, the women yeah. weren't the Aussie women yeah. weren't selected. So you're going to have these three exhibition matches. They had one last year. They're going to have three this time, and it's kind of a precursor or a building block towards hopefully one day having a women's IPL. And this is this is so that's all good news. But you're going to have those three matches now without any Australians there. And what seems to have happened, I mean, judging by what the, the the emails have said is that in a bid to try and sort of renegotiate uh, the staging of the the one day internationals uh, cricket australia have sort of dragged their feet on on you know rubber stamping the, so trying the, to the use women, the women going, as leverage as leverage in some way yeah, and and again by all the reports that have come out uh, from various sources it seems to be that that has put the, the Indians' noses out of joint and they've uh, sort of put their foot down and said, well, fine then, you know. If, what if a massive backfire. Yeah, yeah. We're going overseas yeah. to play next summer yep. regardless now and our women haven't been yeah. selected. Yeah, and it's tragic. And, and and no one wins out of that because, you know, you've got this tournament, a mini exhibition tournament where you've got the best Indian players, you've got players from the UK, uh, from South Africa. I oh, know the South Africans, I think, are playing another tournament, but the, from around the world except Australia. And you've got three of the best women cricketers in the world will not take part in this and then on a personal level for them they lose out on you know money that would have uh, helped them you know for appearance fees from going there so it's a sort of ham-fisted approach that the cricket australia have taken it's belligerence on the part of uh, bcci and who loses out the fans who are going to watch the games in india and the players themselves so yeah it's a it's but do a, you think the bcci being that belligerent like it, it does seem to me that to try and link the, the male and the female players in that negotiation was misjudged, a, a, an error. Yeah, misjudged. It appears that way. If you know the, the the sort of timeline of things that we're getting from these emails is correct, then that does seem. And like it does a, seem correct because yeah. apparently uh, Cricket Australia have apologised to yeah. Elise Perry, Meg Lanning, and Elisa Healy, and for for dragging them into it, and also Kevin Roberts and Earl Eddings. Uh, Roberts the head of Cricket Australia, Eddings, the chairman of the board, are intending to travel to India to try and smooth things over with the BCCI. So it's really... I mean, this is not quite as bad as it's ever been between Australia and India because you've got the monkey gate and all that stuff, but it, for it to get to this level is pretty bad. It just seems unnecessary, yeah, if they can't sort of work out these things. It, 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 it doesn't uh, shed much glory on anyone concerned there. Uh, Joe, what's your thought on no one-day cricket here next summer? Um, I, I know the the crowds and whatever have been down, and the ratings have been down, and people don't seem to care quite as much. But I think it'll we'll we'll miss it when it's when it's not here. It, I think it'll roll around, and there is generally a point in the summer where you you, you I just enjoy watching a bit of one day cricket, and it does have its place in the Australian summer. So I think I think it'll be missed, and I and I think the fact that the schedule, which has already been 
such a massive talking point over the past couple of years and where we fit in the domestic cricket and international cricket and how how that all works together. I don't like that it's being dictated even further by overseas trips being being taken during the Australian summer. Yeah, I'm really concerned about the damage it's going to do to the Big Bash because we saw last summer the Big Bash is desperately short of star power and the Players Association have dug their heels in and said you can't bring a third overseas player in, which I think is a, a massive mistake by the, the Players Association. I think, again, it sort of lacks vision because if, if the Big Bash becomes more valuable, then the players become more valuable, more money comes into the game, everyone benefits. So to, to, to block a third player is one thing. Now with Australia's best of white ball cricketers being out for a portion of January, which you're going to think be a minimum two weeks, a minimum two weeks, maybe a bit longer. I mean, that's going to suck 15, 16 of our best white ball players out of the big bash in, in the heat and the prime of summer. I think it's a huge blow to the big bash. That, that kind of happens anyway, doesn't it? They, 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 we're still, even when we're playing the one day, they, they're mixed in around the same time. But if you say you had the Chapel Hadley Trophy, which was planned, you could probably get those three matches done in a week. Yeah. So and it extends it by, yeah, say another week. Or um, two. Yeah. So, yeah, big, big, big problem for Cricket Australia. All right. The next bit of cricket news. Huge headline. A bombshell was dropped during the week. 37-year-old Shane Watson announced his retirement from the Sydney Thunder and the Big Bash. He was the Sydney Thunder's highest, second highest run scorer last summer. He was recently the Pakistan Super League's leading run scorer, so he's still in form, but a big blow for the competition, losing another big name. And how will uh, Shane Watson be remembered in this country now that his professional career is over? Look, I'm, I'll be up front. I'm a big Watto fan. I, I think he gave a lot to Australian cricket. I think he had quite a good test career. Certainly across the board, a fantastic um, international career. One of, our, one of our best ever white ball players. I did receive a message from someone who will remain nameless who pointed out someone had written, cricket great Shane Watson retires. And someone suggested to me that that's that was a very liberal use of the word great. I'd say that's a stretch. But, I mean, he's a two-time AB medal winner. Um, the biggest knock on him probably is that he was never as great as we wanted him to be. Um, he came through, he, his peak came through at a time when Australia had just lost the, you know, four or five of the greatest players of all time. And Australia desperately needed um, somebody who would fill that gap. He did his best, but for, for what it was worth, he wasn't Ricky Ponting with the bat. He wasn't Glenn McGrath with the ball. He was never going to be. So while... We wanted him to be that. He couldn't quite get there. Despite that, I say he had a fantastic international career and, and will go down as one of a, a guy who I really enjoyed watching play. Steve, what's a pommy view of Shane Watson? Well, it's interesting. I, I arrived here uh, about six years ago now and, and I'm slightly fascinated by Shane Watson from afar and then from close up. When I arrived here, the idea when I was in the UK and you, you're looking at him, he seemed to me to kind of embody almost this cliche or this emblem of Australian cricket. He was a big guy with muscles and he was tanned with the blonde hair. He could bat and hit it out the ground. He could bowl quick and get people. He was, I, in my mind, had him built up as this sort of, you know, this, not, not a cricketing god, but like a, a real sort of central Yeah, this kind of thing. And I arrived here and then I go to matches and I find people taking the mick out of him and he's like the punchline to a joke or he's this and and it, it sort of I found it really curious to try and sort of square these two things together and I think Joe has absolutely hit 
the the point of what it was was that he was playing at a time when you've been spoilt in Australia by these great teams and these great players. And so because he wasn't this absolute great player, he was just a very, very good player, suddenly that was seen as some sort of failure. I mean, the the sort of DRS bumbling thing kind of played into the pantomime of it a little bit, and that was sort of quite funny. But I, I think he's got a bit of a sort of... Uh, uh, the, the perception of the public of him of having failed in some way is absolutely wide of the mark. He was a great player. And maybe that sort of pressure actually inhibited him uh, towards the end of his sort of international career because you see now freed from that when he's going around these franchises he's just having fun and he's being Shane Watson you know the kid on the beach who can just knock it further than everyone else and he's been fantastic and I always think he speaks very well and he comes across as a great guy so yeah I've got a lot of time for him. In uh, dealing with Shane Watson during the last couple of big bashes and interviews and stuff he's a really lovely guy he's really lovely Got lots of time for everybody. Very humble. So, um, yeah, good luck to him. Robert Craddock, our teammate from News Corp, often has wonderful stories about Watto on tour. But one of them is Shane used to take his own, like, scented candles and things (laughs) on tour and and try and sort of uh, simulate a home environment to get him in the right frame of mind. But I actually think Shane Watson's career can be best summed up when maybe it's Richie Benno or Ian Chappell always says that an all-rounder needs to be able to hold their spot in one batting or bowling and then the other one is just a compliment. And I think Shane Watson's problem was he was never a good enough batsman to really bat in the top six in test level. If you look at his record, mid-30s is a mid-30s average is not what you want from a top six player. And his bowling obviously wasn't good enough to play as a frontline bowler. So he kind of was in that sort of... Uh, middle ground where it wasn't quite good enough with either at test cricket to excel. So I think that's kind of why he gets a bad rap. And yeah, it's just one of those things. I'll tell you something, if he was performing at sort of even 80% of uh, his best now, he would be in the World Cup squad going over there, to, you know, in a heartbeat. So uh, yeah. You're right. We don't have any other all-rounders. All right. Staying local, AB de Villiers has ignited a bidding war between the Big Bash franchises to try and lure him to Australia for next summer. It's hard to see him playing the whole tournament because of the length of the tournament, but after watching him smash 82 of 44 balls with seven sixes, and one of those sixes being where his eyes were closed and he wasn't looking looking at the ball, which I did often, but I never could hit it for six, I can imagine... He whatever times he spends in the Big Bash would be great for the competition. But I guess what what I thought, Joe, is that if you were to get AB de Villiers over here and Cricket Australia were to top up his payment a little bit to in, induce him to come here, you'd want him in a Sydney or Melbourne team because uh, they're the biggest markets. I mean, I'd want him on a Sydney team because I'd like to go and watch him live as much as possible. Let's put our biases aside, Joe, as you know I'm very good at. I, I think, yeah, look, I... I can see where you're coming from um but at the same time the hobart hurricanes finished top of the ladder last year so it's definitely what's the tv audience in hobart i mean it's a national game the the tv audience as long as they're playing every as long as they're playing every game on on tv but but especially somewhere like sydney that's really driven by stars you know sydney to get people to leave you know their beautiful suburb and the greatest city in the world to to get them to go to a cricket ground you need a star well the Sixers have painted themselves as as that team as the glamour team since Mm. the the inception of even the the thunder i mean they're okay they're okay they've they've won they've won a cup but um the Sixers are apparently the the front runners they've they've put it put their bid in i saw jody hawkins spoke to um 
your good mate Dan Bredig at ESPN and um, said they'd put their their bid in. She mentioned the beaches as well, so definitely the 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 Sixers are keen, and I think I mean the Sixers put all their players in up well. in Coogee, so he'd fit in. I think he'd fit in well in the in the Sixers squad, and they could definitely use a guy of his star factor. And I mean, I'd go down to the SCG if he would actually um, play for the Sixers. The Sixers have every year carols on the SCG. AB de Villiers has got a lovely singing voice. Does he? And Is quite religious, right? so he could lead the carols. Wouldn't that be something? It would definitely be something, yes. Put it in his contract. <laughs> All right. Uh, you got anything to add to that, Wilson? No, I just say the, the, the Big Bash needs – I think it needs AB de Villiers and it needs more on top of that as well. It, it, it's – the big bash as as a you know as a concept as a as a as a tournament it's a showcase it's a it's a you know a, a night out it's a it's it's a big hitting you know entity you need as many stars in that as possible and like touching back on what you said there about them not letting have three sort of overseas players i think it's absolutely ridiculous i think they need to free up as much money as they can for all teams to get a AAB de Villiers or similar or as close as you can to it just so they're smattered all around the country I mean yeah getting him in in Sydney that's great I think you need him spread all around the country Alright uh, now a, an Aussie update in the IPL so the Australians are over there not many Australians because of the World Cup a lot weren't selected but David Warner is the leading run scorer and leaves the IPL with 692 runs at an average of 69.2 Steve Smith Joe Barton 319 runs at 40 with 350s has looked better and better as the tournament's gone on but I am concerned about his elbow so he took a stunning catch off David Warner when he the Rajasthan Royals played that Sunrisers Hyderabad and does it surprise you I've been watching a lot of the IPL Joe does not surprise me in the slightest not a lot live but I've recorded and watched a lot of games so Steve Smith took this running diving catch off his old vice captain David Warner and uh, interestingly, Steve Smith did not celebrate at all. And I wonder if there was a little bit of brains about it. You know, eagle-eyed photographers would have been ready had Steve Smith jumped up and thrown the ball in the air and stuff. They would have taken the photo, look at Smith dismissing Warner. But he just stood up, very cool, calm and collected. But he his elbow was uncomfortable. So I am worried about Steve Smith's elbow. No, absolutely, yeah. He, he, he was very ginger when he got up from that, and maybe <laughs> maybe he did want to celebrate, but he was in too much pain. <laughs> uh, Chris Lynn made three, has made 318 runs for the Kolkata Knight Riders. Watto has been hit and miss, uh, 251 runs at 21 in 12 innings, but one of those innings he scored 96, so that's about 150 runs in the other 11 innings. Stoinis has been good at times with batting the ball for the Royal Challengers. Bangalore and uh, Ashton Turner finally got a run after three golden ducks in a row. One of the funniest things I've ever seen. Turn the page. You've got AJ Ty as well. Yeah, so <laughs> AJ Ty, he's only played four games in this IPL and he's going at almost 10 and over. Now, he had, AJ Ty had quite a good IPL last year, but who wants to take this? And I think the mystery around AJ Ty's slow ball has been unveiled and now. He's a bit of a free hit. Well, we we, we talked about the um, the Aussie death bowlers. I mean, <laughs> over summer he was he was one of the guys who potentially was going to step step up and become the guy along with Stark who could bowl those overs at the death in the World Cup. And he's really fallen fallen away a long way since then. He was still going at runs. Hasn't looked himself this IPL. 
I'm happy for him. He's got his he got his big deal uh, last year, or the year before. A couple so, of years ago, he was painting houses or something, and so now he's he's, uh, he's 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 cashed in um, on on that mystery ball. But yeah, he's he's not uh, he's not delivering. And yeah, but, I mean it, it, that 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 can happen once once same with spinners. Like Nathan you, Bracken's another one that had a similar yeah, thing. Once, once you start, once batsmen start to figure you out, the mystery goes, and uh, yeah. and, it's, and it's just the fine margins of it as well. Like for. Bowling Yorkers and, and slower balls in those final overs, you have to absolutely land them. That's why those uh, bowlers who can do that are so precious. You know, you're a tiny bit off with your radar and it's going out the ground. I also so think maybe- it indicates the highest standard in the IPL that AJ Ty is, you know, more successful in the Big Bash because he's not coming up against the, the really top-level yeah. players. So that was the Cricket Headlines brought to you by the Daily Telegraph. So we're going to take our final break. Then coming up, we've got Listener Mail and Can't Let It Go Through to the Keeper segment. Uh, Before that, I just want to remind you, if you want to email in any questions or thoughts about the show, you can email it into ozcricketpod, that's auscricketpod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at A-M-E-N-E-R-S. A-M-E-N-E-R-S. The podcast awards are coming up on May the 18th, so keep your fingers crossed that Cricket Unfiltered wins uh, the sports and recreation category. And I also want to thank everybody that voted for Cricket Unfiltered in the popular vote category. I was I was so engrossed in the cricket season and, and just head down watching cricket that I forgot to rally the listeners and tell them that there was a popular vote category but still, we got quite a lot of votes. We got in the top 100 with no promotion by me at all. So thanks to those people that actually did vote for the show. Coming up after the break, listener mail. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menas. I'm here with Joe and Steve. That was James Pattinson causing havoc in the Shield final, which leads us nicely on to our listener mail segment. So thanks to Mike Stevens for sending in an essay for an email. He's written at the end, and I just want to preface the email with this. Very sorry for the long-winded email. My wife doesn't like cricket at all, so it's good to be able to get all this down for someone who likes cricket like me. Now, my wife hates cricket, and sometimes she tells me, turn it down, I'm sick of that noise. What about you, Steve? Does your missus, does your missus like cricket? Uh, no, she's not a fan at all, um, but she's not uh, antagonistic towards it, so she'll let me uh, uh, watch if I want to <laughs> without, without much drama. Joe, do you live by yourself? Pretty much, yeah. No, I and... Nobody else in my household likes cricket. Mike, we get your pain. All right, so he's uh, wanted to get our take on the likely Ashes 11 for Australia. Mike said his team would be Warner and Harris up top, Kawaja, Smith and Head to follow with number six to be confirmed and Payne, Cummins, Lyon, Hazelwood and the other quick to be confirmed. Now, he's given a list of... Um, contenders for the sixth batting spot. Uh, Mike's given Curtis Patterson, Peter Hanscom, Aaron Finch, Sean Marsh. That's not going to happen. Matty Wade, potentially. Marcus Stoinis. I'm not sure he'd make the top six. Matty Renshaw. Not sure they'd bat him at six. Cameron Bancroft. 
maybe they'd bat him at six, but I, I think he's more likely to come in as the reserve keeper. And he said, is there anyone else that you think I've missed? Well, Mike, what about Joe Burns that scored 180 in the last test match? Uh, what about you guys? Who do you think um, is really circling for that number six spot in the Ashes from this list? I like KP. I know he, yeah, as, as your re- uh, listener has pointed out, he didn't finish with a massive flurry uh, in the Shield, but I think he showed enough in uh, the tests that he played and the Shield final. I think KP is definitely uh, a guy who could, could slot in. Curtis um, Patterson. Steve, anyone for you? Yeah, I can go along with that. But also Hanscom, I, I, I think, you know, he's been awarded the, the contract and, um, you know, that's got to be for some reason. I think they see him as a long-term test um, uh, prospect. He's not a prospect anymore, a, a, you know, a long-term member of that squad. And I think he would fit in there in the middle orders nicely. Mike's also asked if we think they'll take a backup spinner. John Holland, perhaps. I think John Holland's pretty uh, close to getting a backup spinning role with him being selected as the Australia A spinner. So thanks to Mike for sending in that email. And now I've got a, a revolutionary idea here from Pete Tazewell. Now this is in response to the mooted bowling clock in cricket to improve over rates. He's suggested that Basically, if the bowling side does not reach its allotted overs at a certain time, that they're not allowed to take the new ball. So if they should have bowled, say, uh, 80 overs by a certain time, but they've only bowled 77, then those three overs, they they have to add on till they can take the new ball. So it would be after the 83rd over, they could take the new ball. I think there's a few problems with this idea. Like, what if they don't want the new ball? It wouldn't matter. But uh, what, what do you guys think about... Uh, this idea, I think actually a bowling clock's a better idea than this. I don't hate it. I mean, I know, I know your point. What if they don't want the new ball? But usually they do. So that that would be a scenario that does, wouldn't pop up all that often. And it can be the difference of waiting for the the new ball for another five overs. What if you got a team down six or seven down and you have to wait another five overs? It, it, it could could make an could make a difference. The shot clock, I still find a bit weird. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in a small minority of people who don't really get that fired up about slow over rates. Um, uh, and so I don't think it's a, a huge problem that needs a, a revolutionary uh, solution to. But yeah, that could, that could, that, that could work. So uh, thanks, Pete, for the message. If you want to email in OzCricketPod, that's A-U-S CricketPod at gmail.com. Send in your World Cup uh, takes and thoughts and your, your favourites. Keep them brief and I'll read them out over the next few weeks. Also want to thank the swathe of reviews that have gone up on the Apple iTunes store. Jeff Riley, thank you for leaving a message. Orange Seven Sisters, uh, leaving a lovely message. James from New Zealand, thank you. And uh, Rizzy14 for leaving a message on the English iTunes. So thanks to all those that have taken the time to leave a review on iTunes. If you've got time, please go and do it. It's a great way to boost the show and um, yeah, get new listeners in. So the final segment of today's show. Now, it used to be Can't Let It Go, but I've cricketed it up now. It's now Can't Let It Go Through to the Keeper. So it's the little bit of cricket news that each panellist can't let go through to the keeper for the week. 
So I'll start with you, Steve. What's your um, can't let it go for this week? Well, I've, I've just got my uh, uh, English hat on and looking ahead to the Ashes. I, I'm very curious and uh, a little bit troubled by the fact of all these Australians who are making hay in uh, the county championship at the moment and getting their eyes in. Uh, none so more so than uh, Peter Siddle, who's just been on fire for Essex since he's been there in the last in the one day I, uh, ODI matches. He had four for sixty and then two for eighteen uh, from ten overs in a win for Essex recently and uh, making a very good case for uh, getting into that squad for the Ashes but also getting in plenty of match practice uh, with the Duke's ball and uh, yeah making the Ashes potentially a lot closer than uh, an Englishman might like. Slightly less seamy Duke's ball. That's true yeah. They've taken a little bit off the seam so the seam's not as raised which is making it better for batsmen. Yeah, But not a problem for Siddle who's uh, making it talk at the moment so it's one to watch. Joe what's your can't let it go? It's um, a look at Pakistan fast bowler Hassan Ali and his I don't know wild celebrations, which <laughs> seem to constantly get him into trouble. He's he's the the quick who uh, seemed to throw out his shoulder last year with with his celebration, with his aggressive celebration of taking a wicket, and he got him into a trouble, or maybe not trouble, certainly got him into the headlines again this week in a practice game for Pakistan against Kent, where he he took the wicket of Alex uh, Alex Blake, and it was a caught and bowled. Took the catch cleanly, promptly went into, well, immediately went into his um, his celebration, which involves throwing both hands up, kind of making himself into an X. But in doing so, he then dropped the ball. So effectively, I'm saying it was a you just dropped the World Cup type moment. But unfortunately, Blake was already halfway off the off the pitch and didn't turn around, and so he was ultimately given out. But if you watch the video, he dropped it, the ball is dropped. So dropped. do you think that's worse sportsmanship than Ashwin's mancad or? I don't think Ashwin's man kid. I've got no problem with that. So you <laughs> yeah. think it's worse yeah. sportsmanship? Yeah. That's a yes. In so much as he's sort of cheating. So yes, it is. Yeah. In this sure. one, this one he's cheating because he dropped it and he's claimed the catch yeah. rather than just uh, done something uh, within the rules, but not the spirit. Yeah. So I've got two can't let it goes. Uh, the first one is I can't let go Jonathan Liu's terrible take on the Jofra Archer debate and uh, his characterization of Jonathan Agnew, uh, the most galling thing I've read in a while. And the other one, but and much better, much better news, is we had a great historic moment this week when Claire Polisak became the first ever woman to officiate a men's one-day international. It was between heavyweights Oman and Namibia, but uh, I hope it's the, the first of many females to umpire men's cricket. Yeah, why not? Yeah, all power to her. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming uh, into the podcast. Steve, thanks for battling through the show. I know you've been a bit under the weather this week. Yeah, I'm so, I hope my uh, sniffles and, and coughs don't show up on your uh, your clean audio. No, they there. won't. I was so sick last week. I had the worst flu last week, okay. Steve. I could not get out of bed, so I feel your pain. And I think my flu was like the physical embodiment of the cricket season being over. You know, that sort of malaise, that depression, that that yearning for the... The, the sound of leather on willow and just the smells of the cricket grounds and the excitement. Now that that's gone, maybe my body just shut down. I think Manners has got World Cup fever and a heavy dose of it already, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And Joe Barton, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. You're on a break now, so have a good uh, holiday and uh, you can go back and watch a few Steve Smith tapes over the next couple of weeks and just remind yourself what a great player he is. Gladly. I mean, I'll, I'll come in on my, uh, on my holidays if you want me to once again set the record straight on your, <laughs> on your rude, rude analysis of my Steve Smith takes. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come back next week. All right, listeners, you've been listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast by News Corp. 
I'm your host and producer, Andrew Menzel. Head to at News Corp Cricket to keep up with all the cricket news and back soon with another show. 